Well, hello and welcome to you, whatever time of day it is that you may be tuning in. This is Reverend Kay Mortimer with Covenant Truth Ministries, and this is today's episode 354 of our Bible Bites as we continue reading through the scriptures this year. My reading today is found in Hebrews 11 through 13 as we conclude the book of Hebrews today in this Bible Bites series. Now, chapter 11 carries us forward and in a progression from chapter 10. Chapter 10, the very last verse of chapter 10, talked about how we are of those who believe to the saving of the soul. So now we're going to get into a real thorough understanding of believing, of faith. So he starts out. It's all connected. You see, it was all one book. The chapter and verse divisions are added for our benefit, but it was all one book originally, so it's going to have a flow to it. So chapter 10 flows right into chapter 11. Chapter 11, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it, by faith, the elders obtained a good testimony. Yeah, a good testimony, a good report. So, this is telling us what faith is. Now, I have a friend who kind of defines it this way. She talks about how um, it's, it's believing the Red Sea's parted before you see it with your eyes. So, in other words, it's that constancy, that faith that you see spiritually, and you believe it's already as good as done even though you don't see it in your natural eyes or experience it yet. And this entire chapter is going to be filled with a lot of that understanding and the people that are examples of that. So verse 3 through 38, we could call it a Hall of Faith Heroes listing. This is a listing of various heroes from the scriptures from the olden days that form a pattern for us of faith and show us various examples and elements of faith leading us to the best example which is yet to come that we will talk about in a little bit. So I just want to grab a few highlights through these verses here. First of all, in verse 3, it says, By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the rhema of God, that spoken word in that moment that brought life and ministered in that situation and came to life in that situation. For instance, Genesis 1, 3, let there be light, and there was light. God said it. He said it with his mouth. He spoke by the Spirit of God. He spoke the word, and it came into being. It was done. You go on down, you read Genesis 1, verses 6 through 7, verse 9, verse 11, verse 14 through 15, verse 20 through 21, verse 24, verse 26 through 27. Every single one of those speak about how God said something, and it was so. It came to be. It happened. It's talking about that rhema word of God, that living word. In Verse 5 talks about how Enoch had a testimony that he pleased God. So, verse 6 comes right on the heels of that 
and helps us understand what does it mean to please God, what's required to please God. But without faith, in other words, in the absence of faith, it is impossible to please him. For, the reason being, he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So I want to talk about this for a minute. This defines how we please God and what it actually means. It absolutely, absolutely requires faith. So what is faith? Well, we saw in verse 1, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the, the evidence of things not seen. It's that persuasion, that credence, that conviction and reliance upon inconstancy of such profession that you are not moved. You absolutely know positively, period, it's going to happen. I loved this when I thought about credence because it reminded me of, of giving credit and full assurance to. In other words, let's, let's just consider a, a simple example, just one example. You've got a father. Let's just say we have a father that promises his son on Tuesday that, that when he's done with work week on the weekends and he comes on Saturday, he's going to take him fishing. And that father has proven to be trustworthy, you know, the, the little boy, especially if he's a young boy. And he hasn't suffered through, you know, maybe a father that's let him down. Let's just assume this is a good father. And this man, he tells his boy something and he means what he says. What do you think that boy's going to do? That boy's going to believe him. Man, he's going he's gonna to be so excited, you know, every day. Is, is it Saturday yet? Is it Saturday yet? Every day he's going to wake up. Is it Saturday yet? Because he's looking forward to that fishing trip because he has grabbed hold of that. My daddy promised me, so it's going to happen. Daddy said so. Daddy said he's going to take me fishing on Saturday. So every day, that boy's got that on his mind, and he's thinking, Daddy said we're going fishing. Ooh, hallelujah. I'm excited. I'm going to get to go fishing with my daddy. And so, you know, Wednesday comes. He's excited about it. Thursday comes. It's not quite yet time, but he's excited. He is absolutely convinced that on Saturday morning, he's going to get up, and he and his daddy are going to grab their poles on their boat, and they're going to the lake, and they're going fishing. And on Saturday morning, what happens? That little boy, probably 6 a.m., comes jumping in Daddy's bed and says, Daddy, is it Saturday? Is it Saturday? Can we go fishing now? Is it time? Because he's convinced that his daddy said something and his daddy's going to do what he said. That is an excellent example of faith. We just take God at his word. He said it's going to happen, and we know him to be true to his character. We know him to be a promise keeper. And so we know before we ever see it, before Saturday morning ever comes, we know we're going fishing because Daddy said so. We're going to take him at his word. That's what it's talking about. That is faith in God and in what he said. Praise God. So he defines real faith. In the latter part of this verse, 
So he gives us the understanding. He says, faith is knowing that God is, first of all, he exists just like he says he does. He's the living God. The Bible says he's the living God that dwells between the cherubim. You'll read that over and over in the Old Testament. He is, he exists, he lives. And not only that, but he does what he promised. He rewards those who diligently seek him those who crave him, those who are excited about him and offer him worship, those who believe that he's going to do what he said he's going to do. <clears throat> that word rewarder literally talks about somebody that pays wages, somebody that's an employer and actually pays. You know, they promised the employees, if you work for me this many hours, I'll give you this much money. And so come Friday when it's payday or Thursday or whenever payday is, Guess what? He gives him a check and he gives him that money or he deposits it in his account. He pays what he promised. He does what he says. That's what it's talking about here. That's the faith that pleases God. That's the same kind of faith that Enoch had. That's the faith that every one of these examples had. Hallelujah. And so he goes on. He talks about Abraham. He talks, well, he talks about Noah first. We don't always think about the fact that even before Abraham, the forefathers before Abraham had faith. They were of faith. Noah had faith. Noah didn't know what a flood was. Noah had never seen rain before. But God told him, he said, to build a boat because it's going to flood. I'm going to flood the earth. So Noah starts building a boat. And he believes that God, who spoke to him and said that this is going to happen, will bring it to pass. Abraham. We go on down and we see Abraham is another example of our faith. Notice that these recognized that they were pilgrims. Abraham, it says, talks about how he dwelt in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. Verse 10, for he waited for the city who has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. And we read about that city in Revelation 21 and 22. But Abraham was waiting for that heavenly city. He knew it was coming because God promised it. And he knew God to be true to his word. So he recognized he was just a pilgrim here. A key element of faith also found through Sarah's example. It says she, um, she conceived, she had strength to conceive because she judged him faithful who had promised. In other words, it's like that little boy that said, man, daddy promised. I know we're going fishing Saturday because daddy said so. Daddy said so. So that's the kind of faith that, that Sarah also had. Go on down. I want to read verse 13 through 16 to you. It's a bit of a little bit of a section here, but I want to read it. These all died in faith, speaking of these that were before, and really the ones that we'll read about after, same thing, same principle. But he's saying here, these all died in faith, not having received the promise in the sense that they didn't physically get to see it. Abraham had been promised the uh, numerous multitude of descendants as numerous as the sands of the sea when abraham died he didn't he didn't see that there you know he only had one son and his one son only had two sons you know so abraham didn't get to see the final fulfillment of it that's what it's saying these all died in faith not having received the promise physically in an experience but having seen them afar off 
were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. I want to stop right there for just a moment. Abraham saw them with spiritual eyes. He saw them at a distance, afar off, and they were as good as done in his mind because of what God had promised. And so what happened? It says because he was able to see them in his mind as if they were as if they were as good as done now, he was assured of them. He didn't worry about it. He had absolute confidence. He embraced them. He took them into himself, welcomed them, and, you know, almost like a hug would be. He welcomed them, and he confessed that they're just strangers and pilgrims here. In other words, he's agreeing to the fact that, you know what? They're coming. They're coming. I might not see it because I'm just a pilgrim on this earth, but it's coming. Whether I live to see it or whether it's after my death, it's coming. It's as good as done. Verse 14, for those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind that that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. But now they desire a better. Here we go again. Another word, another time we see better in the book of Hebrews. A better, that is a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Remember in John chapter 14, what Jesus say, I go to prepare a place for you. God prepared the city for them. Praise be to God. Hallelujah. So they are seeking this homeland. Hallelujah, which is a better country. And so are we. So he goes on and he lists more examples <coughs> of this. He gets down in verse 24 and he starts talking about Moses' example when Moses was grown. And he says that he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. For he looked to the reward. Oh, beloved, we might need to write that down on index cards and, and read that over and over and over and think about that and let it mull over in our minds because it's very important. It's unpopular, but it was a necessary choice. May we keep our eyes like Moses did on the heavenly reward. May we set our affections on things above and not on the earth like we were told to do in Colossians. May, may it be so. He goes on down in verse 32 through 38 and he speaks about a bunch of different people and he talks about how some of them, you know, they, they um, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword. Um, they were made strong. Women received their dead to life again. He talks about how some of them were tortured not accepting deliverance when offered to them, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Trials of mocking, scourging, chains, imprisonment. Some were slain with the sword. Some were, um, were sawn in two, like Isaiah, I believe it speaks about, was that happened to him in tradition, church tradition tells us. He talks about how some wandered around in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, some of these were godly people. Listen to this. Verse 38, of whom the world was not 
worthy. Wow. Because of the level of their faith and their devotion to the Lord. He says, of whom the world was not worthy. These were the ones that were totally different. As a matter of fact, the translators have added the word worthy for us to understand. But it literally means, or it literally says, the world was not. In other words, in other words, let me explain what that, that what I believe that means. It's talking about how Jesus came and he said this, be in the world, but not of it. In other words, there's a total separation. We are totally different. The world doesn't understand us. The world's not of us. They're cut from a different cloth, and we are cut from a different cloth. We are not of this world. We are not lovers of this world. We are not seduced by this world if we stay true to Christ, and we are not focused on this world. We are not of this world. We may be in it, but we are totally different and separate from the world, just as Jesus spoke about. And he says in verse 39 and 40, And all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. In other words, they didn't see the full fulfillment of it. God having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. In other words, they saw the puzzle pieces and they believed in the picture on the box even though they didn't have the picture on the box. But guess what? We've got the completion of it. We've got the box. We've got the picture on the box and we see how all the puzzle pieces now fit together perfectly. Therefore, chapter 12 and I want to spend a little bit of time here. I know um, today's may be a little bit longer as well. I'm sorry. So many of these are longer, but God's word is so rich. Verse 1 of chapter 12. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Who are the cloud of witnesses? All of chapter 11. All the ones he just listed. And all the ones since then that have also been true and faithful to the Lord even to the point of dying before they received the promises. We can even look at those today. For instance, Billy Graham. You know, he didn't get to see the fulfillment of it. He didn't get to see the coming of Jesus as far as living to see that actual day yet. But he was faithful to the end. Chuck Missler, faithful to the end. David Wilkerson, faithful to the end. Many others. These are that cloud of witnesses, and they surround us. In other words, they, they are, I call them the cheerleading squad. I love to refer to them like the cheerleading squad. I don't know if they can, can see us or whatever. I don't know all of that, and I won't find out that until I get there myself, I guess. So those kind of things are not for us to necessarily understand right now. But it does say that they are enclosing us. In other words, we, we are not alone. We've got, we've got witnesses circling around us that, that have been through it. They've been through the fire, and they know the reward, and they know that God is true. And so therefore, it says because we are surrounded by these clouds of witnesses, then guess what? They ran their race, their witnesses to testify to us through their example, that it was worth it. Now, guess what? we got to run our race. He says, now, therefore, let us lay aside, cast off, and put away from us every weight. 
Now that's talking about whatever is going to hinder or slow us down. It's not necessarily a bad thing. It can be a good thing, but it's, it's a competitive thing. Matter of fact, um, it's something that could slow us down. That's going to be heavy and distract us like a burden. You know, if you were running a race, if you wanted to get out and jog around the neighborhood or whatever for exercise. Now, to get better exercise, you may carry a weight with you for exercise purposes. But if you are trying to really run a race and you've got a goal in mind and there's a time limit on it, you don't want weights. You don't want to carry those weights because they're going to slow you down. You've got to get rid of anything that's going to distract you, anything that's going to burden you or hinder you from running the race that God has ordained and set for you. He speaks about the sin that so easily besets us. Now, when I studied this today, this was very interesting because it really is talking about that that's standing well all around us like a competitor, something that's competing for our time, talents, and treasures, something that is a competitor that would try to thwart a racer in any and every direction. It reminded me of 1 Corinthians 15:58 when Paul spoke about standing steadfast and being immovable. That word immovable suggests something that or someone is going to try to move us. This is talking about something that competes and that tries to get us off course, something that tries to grab our attention and get us out of our race. That's what this is talking about. He says here, lay aside the weights, the things that would slow you down, or the things that would compete for your time, talents, and treasures. Lay them aside. Don't fall for their competition. You get your eyes focused. He says to run our race with endurance. Stay in the course. And he says, how do we do it? Number three, looking, keeping our eyes in verse two, looking turning our eyes and keeping our eyes fixed, staring at Jesus, because he is both the leader, the one who is our example in this race, because he's already run his race. So he's our example. He's the author, the, fin the leader, and he is the finisher. He's the one that has completed and is the perfect example of completion of faith. He forms the example for it. And I, I love it because as I was reading that and I was meditating and thinking about the, those words and understanding that being him being the author or the leader, giving us the example by his own example and the finisher, the one who completed the faith, the faith race himself, therefore forming our example. It made me think of Stephen in Acts chapter 7, because when Stephen was being stoned, what did he do? He made the exact same prayer, in essence, that Jesus prayed on the cross. Father, forgive them. Stephen followed Jesus' example through the door of death by saying in his last words, some of his last words, the same as what Jesus had said on the cross. Don't lay this sin at their charge, Stephen said. Just like Jesus had said, Father, forgive them, 
for they don't know what they're doing. Praise be to God. He forms that example for us. Verse 2 also tells us why Jesus stayed the course and endured and finished his race. It was for the joy, the thing that brought him the most delight. Do you know what that was? That was you and me and every other person who will believe in Jesus Christ. That was the joy that laid before him, that stretched out before him. It was us, all those who will believe and enter a relationship with him. I believe that he saw your face when he was walking up Golgotha's hill and hanging there on that cross. I believe he saw yours. I believe he saw mine. I believe he saw every person from the past and every person throughout the future. Your brother, your sister, your child, me, your husband, your wife, my husband, my children. He saw us all. And it was that joy that was before him that gave him that staying of the course that he endured the cross, despising the shame. In other words, that word despising means he thought little of it. Yeah, it was disgraceful. Yeah, it was shameful. Yeah, he was humiliated. But in light of the joy set before him, that meant nothing to him. He thought little of that so that he now has become the one who sits at the right hand of the throne of God because it's done. He's completed the work. And I thought about it. You know, at the time that I'm recording this, it's, a, it's the Christmas season for those of us that are in America and celebrating Christmas. And I thought about it. You know, it's, his work was completed. That's why he's sitting down. He's alive and he's sitting at the right hand of God. With the work having been completed, that's why he's seated. It's like, you know, he's already bought the gift, paid for the gift, wrapped it up, put a bow on top of it, and he's now made it ready and available sitting right there, ready and waiting for anyone to open it up and receive it. And all who will, it's available for them. It's available for you today. It's available for us. Praise be to God, the work has been done. So now the author continues on and he encourages us in the face of sufferings. He writes this. He says, you know, Jesus is our example. He had to endure it. He can help us to endure it in the face of suffering. Look at Jesus as the example. He talks about how we've not yet uh, suffered to the point that we've had to die. Some have in other places. But he's talking to his writers at that time, even though that's fixing to come for them. They're about to have to endure that, many of them. He speaks about the scriptures that, that they needed to remember and about how even if we have to endure suffering or discipline from God, if it's a form of discipline or testing from the Lord, that it's good. It's got an end result that's good. He goes on in verse 11 and he talks about the peaceable fruit of righteousness by those that have been trained by it. So the end, res excuse me, the end result is for our good. And so he asks that we would strengthen other people's hands as well as our own. Verse 12, strengthen the hands that hang down and the feeble knees. Make straight paths for your feet so that that which is lame may not be dislocated, but rather be healed. 
In other words, make your, your purpose sure. You know, be encouraged. Get up and let's get going in this race. He talks about pursuing uh, peace with all people that we can and holiness. Holiness is still important. It still matters. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Now, that doesn't speak about holiness in the sense of, you know, wearing certain clothes or, you know, not wearing this, not wearing that, whatever, how it used to be um, thought of in the past. It's talking about from within the holiness of character, the holiness of your heart, that you are set apart for the Lord in full intent and purpose in, to the deepest part of your being. He gives us warning about the danger of bitterness and how it will be like a cancer and it will defile everything and destroy everything. You can't have bitterness. Get to the point where you forgive. By God's grace, he will bring you there. It's important that we forgive. He speaks and gives us details about our heavenly home. Remember that heavenly home that from chapter 12, some of our forefathers were longing for and waiting for? Well, we have some details about it here. He speaks about this place, this heavenly Jerusalem. He talks about all the people that are there. He talks about how we're all registered in heaven through the Lamb's book of life. That's our names found in the Lamb's book of life. He goes on down and he talks about the blood, um, the blood of Jesus, the mediator, giving, speaking better than that of Abel. Now that's because Abel is representative of all of those who from the time of Abel forward have had their, have had to be martyred. They have been martyred. Their innocent blood has been spilled in some form. They've been killed when they should not have been killed. And that blood, according to Genesis 4.10 and according to Revelation 6.10, cries out for vengeance. But the blood of Jesus, according to Luke 23.34, cries out for mercy. Father, forgive them. That's why Jesus' blood cries a better cry than the blood of Abraham. I mean of Abel, excuse me. Because Abel's is representative of those that cry for vengeance. But Jesus, who was innocently slaughtered and should never have been in that sense, cried out for mercy for those that killed him. Praise God. He goes on and he speaks in verse 25 through 27 of chapter 12. And he's basically saying, during an age of grace, during this opportunity, this special opportunity, hear Jesus, don't refuse him. Because everything that can be shaken, will be shaken. And many of us would say that 2020 has been a year of tremendous shaking. But it's because what cannot be shaken is what will remain. I want to read verse 28 and 29 to us. We're going to draw down to a close. We only have one more short chapter and a few things left. 28, therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken... Let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. For our God is a consuming fire. And he's a consuming fire because of the fire of his holy presence. That's what it is. It's not that he's mad at us. It's that he is holy. And therefore that fire is representative of his holy presence. And so we must reverence him serve him acceptably 
with reverence and a true godly dose of the fear of the Lord. In chapter 13, he gives a bunch of various instructions about different things. He includes hospitality because you don't know. You may be entertaining angels unawares. Um, he speaks about faithfulness in marriage. He speaks about our lifestyle and about how we should respect and love and honor those that rule over us. Um, he says to follow their example when they are leading us correctly, talking about pastors and teachers and others. He says to honor them. Uh, I want to read verse 8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Why is that true? Because he is the I am. He is the same I am that appeared to Moses in the burning bush and said, you know, I am who I am. That's who you tell them has sent you. And then he comes in uh, Revelation and he speaks about, and even in Isaiah, it spoke about the God who was, who is, and who is to come. In Revelation chapter 4 and 5, we see that. So Jesus is the eternal God, the I am, the same, the God who was, who is, and who is to come, the same yesterday, today, and forever without any change whatsoever. He doesn't get mad one day and, you know, start whopping us and then, you know, be nice and sweet and cozy the next day. He's the same. He's the same. He's constant. Praise God. He speaks about being strong in your faith and not becoming easy prey. He talks about the, uh, the purpose of Jesus having to be killed outside the camp. Hallelujah. He talks about our response in verse 13. What should our response be? We should go forth to him, bearing his reproach. He speaks about the fact that we have no consider continuing city here. We're seeking the one above. So he says in verse six, uh, 15 and 16, this is how we need to serve the Lord while we are here. The sacrifices we need to give him are our praise, acknowledging and agreeing to his name and offering him thanksgiving, and doing good and sharing, having joint participation and fellowship and communion together. In verse 17, obey those who rule over you and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls as those who must give account. Our pastors, teachers, all of those that are called to minister to the people and to minister to especially the Word of God over the people and show them and lead the examples and be there for them like pastors and teachers are, they have to give an account. We have to give an account for those things. So, you know, he says here to, to listen to their words and to listen to their examples and follow those. In verse 20 and 21, I'm going to close with this. Verse 20 and 21 of Hebrews 13. Now, may the God of peace who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do his will, working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight. Through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. And that is my prayer for every one of us, that God will accomplish this word in you and in me. And I pray this has been a blessing to you. Lord willing, you can join us again for future episodes of Bible Bites. God bless you today in Jesus' name.